You're listening to the Language Assistance Podcast, brought to you by the British Council. For more information about the British Council or the Language Assistance Programme, please visit britishcouncil.org. of George Orwell, I would sooner be a foreigner in Spain than in most countries. How easy it is to make friends in Spain. Well, today I am joined by former English language assistants to tell me more about their experiences as an auxiliar de conversación in Spain, a country comprising of 17 autonomous regions and home to five different languages. Now it's worth noting that Spain is the largest receiving country of British Council English language assistants across the programme. Posts are available in all of the Spanish autonomous regions, including Islas Valerias and Islas Canarias, as well as the autonomous cities of Ceuta and Melilla, and a few posts in a ministry-run Spanish school in Andorra. Assistants in Spain can expect to work from the 1st of October to the 31st of May, with Comunidad posts in Madrid running from the 1st of October to the 30th of June. Assistants work around 12 to 16 hours a week, although 12 is the general standard, and there are posts available in Spanish secondary schools, primary schools and state language schools. So I'm going to quickly pass over to my colleague Leona, if you'd like to introduce yourself and if there's any particular eligibility and age requirements for Spain, it'd be great to hear from you. Thanks, Finn. So my name's Leona and I work on the language assistance programme with the main responsibility for all the English language assistants going to Spain. So if you have been to Spain as an assistant or you're going um, as an assistant, you will undoubtedly hear from me um, via email at some point in the year. Um, I was also previously a language assistant myself, as a lot of our team were, so we do understand um, the joys as well as the challenges of being an assistant. As Finn has said, we are the biggest cohort. Spain takes up the vast majority of applications. For example, last year we had 1,455 applications for Spain, which is 51% of our entire cohort. So those numbers are increasing year on year undoubtedly because spain is such a nice destination to go to who doesn't want to go to spain but for lots of reasons too um the spanish government are really keen in promoting language learning um, amongst their schools so they do fund a lot of language assistant placements which is why we can place so many of you in spain spain also got rid of their language requirement a couple of years ago which means you can go to spain and not speak any language at all although of course we do advise that you brush up on your spanish before you go for reasons that will become very clear when you arrive. Another factor might be that Spanish is such a common language to study um, in the UK and about a third of our applicants to Spain are on a compulsory year abroad as well. So there's lots of reasons that we have so many applicants to Spain. Number one is that Spain is such an amazing destination to go to and it's just the best time in my biased opinion. Fab and I think the only other thing I'd point out about Spain is as well as kind of fulfilling the general eligibility um, criteria, it's worth looking at age requirements, so the maximum age is 60, so up until you're 60 you can apply to be a language assistant. So on that note, and without further ado, I'm going to pass over to our two other guests today, who are two 
previous assistants, uh, previous ELA assistants and also ELA ambassadors this year. And if we could just hear from you and a quick introduction of who you are, where you went and when you went. And we'll start with you, Lucy. Hi, I'm Lucy. I went to Granada in Andalusia uh, for my ELA placement. And I started from the 1st of October 2019 and came back in July of this year, 2020. Hi, my name is Laura. Um, I've just finished my Spanish degree at Chester University and did my placement uh, in my third year in Asturias in northern Spain in two primary schools. Fabulous. Well, thank you all so much for joining me today. I'm going to get straight to it with one of the big factors that comes into play uh, with the Spain sort of experience um, and this is when it comes to admin I see when I work on the language assistance program emails pop up including the terms NIA, TA so just talk me through and if anyone has any top tips feel free to add them in what you did before arriving and your top priorities when arriving on Spanish soil when it comes to kind of admin organisation what do you need to get done? Um, I'd say with regards to the NIA, sort of, it's it's almost an equivalent to a national insurance number in the UK. It's sort of like your identity number. I did, now I know it may sound expensive, I paid 30 euros before I left for Spain for the forms to be completed by like an official body online because they said how complicated the forms are and how if you fill the slightest detail in wrong, that's your, all of your forms are worthless and you have to start again. So I did pay for the forms to be completed first. Went to the sort of like international office so you can find it online really easily in your local area. Went with all the forms, everything was really easily processed and I received like a white letter with my official number on it. But what I would say is make sure before you leave they give you a green card with the number on it as well because I left without the green card and thought all I needed was the piece of paper. And then I was asked for the card in my school to prove sort of my identity and my eligibility to work. And I had to admit that I didn't have it. And so then it was a lot more difficult to then book another appointment and to try and explain that, yes, I do have a number, but I don't have the card and it's the card that I need. It was a very long and very difficult process. So as long as you ensure that you've got the green card, that's that's my top tip. Definitely. My top tip is to be patient and make sure that you have numerous documents and numerous photocopies of them because I had to go on various occasions to the police station when it's in a very long queue of lots of other citizens and people who were trying to obtain the card so I did have to go back I think it was about four times in the end to be able to actually um, obtain the um, near card so be very patient and make sure that every time with you you have multiple um, copies of the documents and the original ones yeah, those are amazing tips. Um, be patient, have photocopies and yeah, try to do as much in advance as you can. Um, I think in some parts of the UK, it's not possible to, to get your knee in advance. But if it is, what Lucy suggests, it is definitely, it's going to save you a lot of time and pain um, when you arrive in Spain. Um, particularly in the current circumstances, we're going to, turning up at um, an immigration office or a police session won't always be as, as straightforward in the times of COVID that we're in. As Venice said, we do get a lot of emails about the NIA, the TA, all these terms. So if you're confused about it, you are far from on your own. Um, it's probably the most confusing aspect um, of your assistantship. So it might be a horrible thing to deal with up front, but once you've done it, 
you've done one of the hardest um, tasks. So we would just say, please be mindful to the changing policies on immigration in Spain for UK passport holders. We have sent out email communications on this, but um, please keep up to date because things are still pretty uncertain um, as how things will change from the 1st of January onwards. But um, what Lucy and Laura have suggested are fantastic tips. Make sure to get your little green card. Um, which will be known as your Certificado de Registro de Ciudadano de la Unión. This will have your um, NIE on it, which is the numero, the number. And often that will be the first thing that you will need to show when opening a bank account, showing it to your school and so on. So the green card is really important. But we do know that UK passport holders will need an extra card called the TA, the Tarjeta de Identidad de Extranjero, um, which will then come after you've already applied for this first step. But just to be aware, there's a lots of different terms that are used, but essentially the NIA is a number and the TA is a tarjeta card, which you will get with your NIA on it. Perfect. And just worth mentioning as well that for anyone that is interested or is looking online about Spain as an option, the country notes, if you scroll down to the bottom of the page on the website for that particular sort of destination, and I know for Spain they are jam-packed full of probably all the information that you need to know and if not any other information often comes in emails um, and that I'm sure will have very detailed information on how to go about this what it actually means so I really recommend that when it comes to admin and checking in what you need to do make sure that you are aware yourself and do that research um, but know that that as a resource is available to you so we've covered the less fun let's say topic first and now let's move on to a bit more about the role itself i think there's bilingual schools that are an option in some cases it might be bilingual schools where it's not just english language that will be taught i don't know if that was the case for lucy and laura as well yeah in my primary school they also taught french and i know that from some people that i met while i was abroad they also had a French assistant in uh, like a French, like an FLA, if you would call it that sort of like the R equivalent in the school as well to help the children learn French. But I would say, I know from my experience, and I think a lot of people found this, that calling the schools like a bilingual school, I think in some schools that was a stretch to call them a bilingual school. There perhaps wasn't as much sort of like as a high level of English as in other schools. Um, but the majority of the schools, yeah, were, were bilingual. Yeah. I worked in two primary schools and both of them were uh, bilingual and I assisted in mainly uh, just English classes but as well they asked me to help with um, teaching science and English and then for the that was for one half of the term the other half of the term was doing arts and crafts but they decided that it was more beneficial for me to do science with them because I were they were gaining more out of me in regards of improving their English skills so I was in a variety of different classes with the children. Yeah, Spain especially, as I've said earlier, Spain gives a lot of money to funding language assistant places and they also have a real emphasis on funding um, bilingual programmes in schools. So um, Lucy and Laura have both had that experience in um, bilingual schools. You might also hear the term CLIL used, which stands for um, Content and Language Integrated Learning. Um, and that's also a term used interchangeably with bilingual schools, just to explain their programme. Um, so we've heard assistance in Andalusia, Madrid, the Canarias, Valencia and Galicia. Those are the regions that we would hear most commonly from assistants assisting in bilingual schools, who would then maybe be asked to assist with um, science classes, as Laura has said. 
Um, but you will not have to be an expert on science or on maths or history or on any of these topics that you're asked to um, assist upon. That's really important um, to note. Um, I was asked to assist on physics classes, for example, and apart from PE, I don't think I could pick a subject I'm worse at than physics, but it was mostly really getting the vocab into the student's head, you know, renewable energy, circuits, how do we pronounce these terms and things rather than you share in any subject-specific knowledge. So don't panic if you're asked to support in a bilingual school. It's actually really, really interesting in a lot of cases and gets you away from teaching. Um, you know, just just simply English rules and vocab. You get to deal with content and teach them a topic. Absolutely. It's a bit of a different way of approaching the role as well. And I guess on top of that, I don't know if people might be more worried if they go to a bilingual school. Maybe they're not going to get the chance if they've gone to practice their Spanish. Um, will it be a case that that's, that's more difficult? I don't know if from any of your experiences in terms of the opportunities to practice your Spanish and if you have any advice. Um, yeah, just to add as well, previously to what was said about the teaching science, I was put solely in science classes and half of the half of the term was taught doing um, social science. So it was more of like a historical more like a look on science and then also the sort of more physical science, like you say, physics, chemistry. And my school gave me the Spanish textbooks and the English textbooks for a direct comparison. So learning the Spanish in that way was really useful, although they are children's textbooks. A lot of the vocab that's specific to science or the human body that you might not learn necessarily in a classroom yourself really does, it can really help you using those textbooks and that helps you to produce better lessons for the children. So it's definitely not a case of that you have to have prior knowledge of, of, um, of science and the textbooks can really help you. Yeah, so I, I found that my Spanish was really benefited in that way. And also, especially with the more historical side of the of the classes that I taught. And there was also, it was about sort of the history of Spain and all, some, some content was geographical. So I learned a lot about Spain as a country in addition to the Spanish language through the lessons in the primary school as well. So that really helped me. I would make the most of being in the staff room. Uh, if you are there at break times or at the uh, short lunch break, that go in there, speak to the staff. They, that's all they wanted to do. They just wanted me to practice Spanish with them. But then when I was in front of the children, the teacher said, you only speak English and that's it. So make the most of being in the staff room with the other staff. Yeah, those are definitely fantastic tips. And it can be difficult within school to maybe find opportunities to use your Spanish since, um, as Laura has said, you are there to teach English. Sometimes um, teachers can encourage you to pretend you don't have any knowledge of Spanish so that students feel encouraged to really communicate with you in English as far as they can. Otherwise, they might feel, oh, the assistant won't understand me. That might not work for all um, assistants and it's really important just to, as we're probably going to discuss later, build up a really good relationship with your mentor teacher and talk about these things with them. From my personal experience, I found I wasn't able to bond as much with the students if I couldn't communicate with them because although my school was bilingual, a lot of my students had a really, really low level of English. So trying to build rapport with them when neither of us spoke each other's languages was not possible. So um, something that worked for me um, in my school was I discussed with my mentor teacher whether I could go early to classes, hang out in the corridors with the students, chat to them in Spanish and really just show that I am trying to get to know them. And that really worked really well. I think for the main example that I spoke Spanish to them and my Spanish was far from perfect. And I think showing that you are there to make mistakes yourself and to learn a language it's really, really inspiring to the students because they don't feel silly to make 
mistakes in front of you they don't feel silly if their English isn't good they just want to speak and communicate with you so I think letting down those walls at times and speaking Spanish with the students in the corridors um, outside of class can be a really really good um, opportunity as well as going to the staff room and engaging with your colleagues but do make sure you chat with your your mentor teachers and so on before you would um, take those kind of steps because your main role is to be there to speak English and to teach the students English but that doesn't mean you can't also benefit from it too and build up a really nice relationship with your students. Definitely. I think on the topic of language as well in in Spain it's it's a more complex topic um, because there are I think I said earlier five different languages so there's Aranese, Basque, Catalan, Galician and Castilians. Was it the case for any of you that there was a regional language as well? No not for me it was Castilian Spanish that was all I was exposed to yeah. In my case in Asturias I had Asturian Spanish which was completely just something that they said it's a completely different language to what you'll understand but they did the children did have lessons of it in the school but it didn't impact the Spanish that I knew and understood. Um, yeah it's definitely something to think about if you're studying um, Catalan um, at university I know a lot of UK universities offer that so naturally a placement in Catalonia would be um, a really um, amazing opportunity but do research other regions for example Valencia has a dialect that's quite similar to Catalan as do the Balearic Islands um, so yeah do your research on those kind of things be aware as well think about um, for the language that you're studying if you're studying Castilian Spanish at university please be aware that as much as a placement in Barcelona might seem amazing to you please try to pick a region based on its language as well because you really are probably there to benefit your language studies especially if you're student and you will create more issues for yourself at the end of the day if you can't understand anything but on the flip side if you want to learn a new language like Gallego, Euskera, Catalan or whatever then definitely pick one of those regions and really immerse yourself in um, that language. Absolutely I think that highlights the the point of, of going really it is this cultural immersion it is this idea of really benefiting and learning from it and I think actually it might be worth mentioning at this point the posts themselves and who actually appoints the post. Um, yeah, so in Spain um, you will be allocated to either a ministry post or a comunidad post. And all this means is who the organisation in Spain is that's funding your placement. So the vast majority, about 80% of placements in Spain are comunidad funded, which means the local authorities in the region that you go to employ you directly and they fund you and they pay your salary and they issue your contract. So that's the majority of posts. If you're on a comunidad post in Andalusia, um, you will be employed by the Andalusian comunidad, the Andalusian authorities. And for the other 20% of posts which are ministry funded, that means that you will be employed directly by the Ministry of Education in Spain, um, who are based in Madrid, but there are ministry posts throughout the entire um, country. So it's quite important to know who funds you and who your employers are, mainly because if there are any problems, whether it be with your pay, with um, the school environment, with anything else um, to do with your job, you should know who to contact and who employs you. You will be aware of who employs you because you, they will send you your work contract, also known as your nombramiento, 
Um, so that should be the main kind of idea that you get as to who to contact and what email address to contact them on. The language assistance team at British Council are always here to support you throughout the year too. But as I'm sure you'll be aware, um, problems are usually best dealt with at the source. And the source in this case, if it comes to your pay, for example, will be the Spanish authorities who pay you. So it's really important to know who employs you and whether you're on a ministry or comunidad post so you can get the right help as quickly as possible if there is an issue. Definitely. Um, and in terms of issues that might come up, I know in previous years, there's been some issues with pay, for example. So say, for example, there was a delay with payment. I don't know if this is the case for either Lucy or Laura. Um, what would be the best kind of way of going about that? Um, I didn't experience a delay in pay myself, but I know there's always a WhatsApp group with hundreds of the uh, ELA assistants on there. And I know there was always a lot of uh, sort of anxiety, I suppose, for want of a better word, about, about the pay if someone was being paid late. So I would definitely make sure that you know which post that you that you are linked to because it, it, ten, it tended to be, for my year anyway, it was the ministry post that sort of had a bit of an issue with pay. And I think because especially us being in Andalusia couldn't really be any further away from Madrid it was that panic of how do we get in contact and how do we rectify this but I would start to panic about pay even though it was nothing to do, to do with me seeing as I had a comunidad post so yeah just be clear which post that you are associated with and then I was given as Leona said I was given the direct email of anybody to to contact if there was a problem so I'm sure that was the same for the ministry posts and definitely as we've said go straight to the source to, to deal with the problem. In my case, I was a ministry post. Um, I did have on the first month one issue with pay. I was, but I was warned, fully warned by my university to say, just keep, be patient, be patient, because that's just how it is, and you just have to wait. Um, but then, as as after the first or second month, it was fine, and it came exactly on the same date each month. Um, so, if you do have any queries, I was um, given a contact email for somebody who was in charge of uh, all of the schools where I was so I could get in touch with her um, and she then reassured me that just exactly the same thing please be patient and we are working on it. Probably worth mentioning that it's best to just bring a couple of months um, savings to cover you just in case any eventualities happen um, yeah but get in touch with us if there are any issues that aren't resolved when you contact um, the local authorities in Spain. Wonderful. So now moving on to the kind of reflection on your experience, if you can think back to maybe if you have a favourite memory or trip, I know that the language assistant opportunity, because you are working about 12 hours a week in most cases, it gives you so much time to pursue other interests at the same time, maybe go travelling, um, maybe really get involved with something in your community. So if you all could kind of talk about something which is your favourite memory, so this could be in class or on a particular trip you took and why it stuck with you as well. Just as a as a note for with the school, I had an, I had quite a few opportunities to go on school trips with the with the class and with, with the children, so I would definitely recommend doing that because it is just so much fun and it's just it's just such a great a great time to go and experience the children outside of the classroom and really get to know them um 
but sort of aside from that, my favourite memory, I was in Spain during the initial lockdown and was locked down in Spain and couldn't get home. And I'd chosen to live by myself. So for seven weeks when everything was, it was a complete shutdown apart from supermarkets being open. So that was quite difficult. And then when sort of the government relaxed the restrictions, me and the friends that I'd made who had, who had managed to stay in Spain, we socially distanced, met up at the viewpoint for the Alhambra Palace to watch the sunset. And it was that, you could, it sounds dramatic, but you can feel it now that like the warm glow as the sun sets and there was people who were flamenco dancing, people who brought guitars, everyone was singing and it was this real feeling of joy and like your year abroad has got started again and it's not over yet and you were glad that you stayed. And that really summed up the experience for me because starting my year abroad, I was I was the least likely person, I think, to enjoy a year away from home. I was such a home bird that didn't want to leave. And yes, it was difficult at first, but within three weeks of making friends and experiencing such such different things that you would never have had the opportunity to do before, I was just having the most amazing time and didn't want to come home and was quite, at the start of the, the lockdown period, was quite happy to have stayed in Spain and didn't want to come home. So to have that feeling of you are so glad that you stayed and your year abroad can continue it was it was great it really summed up my experience for me of having such a brilliant time that sounds amazing that image of just watching having flamenco dancing <laughs> the sunset almost like a film <laughs> Yeah, it was so Spanish in that moment, flamenco dancing and taking your Tinto Verano up to the up to the viewpoint. It was it was brilliant. It was a really great experience. It was. Oh, wonderful. Thank you, Lucy. Thank you for sharing that. And for you, Laura? Well, for me, uh, that's a very difficult point to sum it up in one because there were so many. I was invited to go on so many different school trips. So I just said yes to all of them because it was an amazing way to like, immerse yourself even more so in the culture and, and learn lots of new things and actually go to some really exciting places which one of them was a chocolate factory uh so it was that was quite an interesting experience um and another was uh, a cider museum because that's one of the things that they are famous for where i went to in asturias so i would say that um definitely if you are given the opportunity to go on any school trips just say yes to all of them which is what i did and i i I don't regret that at all. It was such a great thing to be involved and also to be involved with the kids because then they didn't see you just in the classroom. They go, oh, wow, that's really a nice thing that you can come on a trip with us too. I wish I had school trips like that when I was growing up. My, my goodness. Do you have any, Leona, that if you think back to your time as an assistant? Um, yeah, I have quite a lot, I guess. But yeah, definitely school trips are probably one of my favourite memories of um of the assistantship because you kind of just you get to have a bit of fun with your students outside of class don't you um my favorite memory from my assistantship is probably um thinking back on it is the leaving party that one of my classes threw for me um and it's a quite important memory to, for me because the context of this is that when i first began my assistantship there was one class in my school who i dreaded going to teach every week um, I had them on Wednesday afternoons, I remember it well, and they were very rowdy and they didn't want to listen to me and I was very, very shy and I hated it. I absolutely detested going to that class every week. But I did make a lot of effort with them. I spoke to my mentor teacher about some of the issues and really what became clear was that class had some real confidence issues in terms of their level. Um, my school arranged classes according to educational abilities, so they were at the bottom level. 
um, of English and of a lot of other subjects too. So with that knowledge, that then um, became something I worked on through the year. And at the end of the year, it was that class who threw me um, a leaving party to say goodbye and to say thank you for everything um, that they'd learnt. And that was so lovely to really witness, purely because at the start, I'd had such a difficult time. And the yeah the perseverance and just kind of being open to a new experience and just trying to to show them I'm here to support you to learn English it really did pay off dividends for them and for me because they once they got over their rowdiness and their lack of wanting to learn English grammar they really really did um, engage with the classes and make my job a real um, pleasure I really loved turning up to school on a Wednesday afternoon in the end so that's one of my favourite memories purely because I could never have predicted at the start of the year that I would genuinely be sad to leave um, this group of students who had been um, difficult to say at the start but it's just a really good example of how perseverance is the key to this experience um, and most of the time you will not regret persevering um, because you will change as a person because of it. Well, it's just such a testament really to what the journey of being an English language assistant can be from the beginning and shows hard work and really sort of giving your time and energy and effort and how that does pay off um, and such a lovely story as well. I think it it goes to show that although the almost the challenges are, are worth it the most because you really can see the the effort and the effect of what you've been what what you've gone to do. So thank you all for sharing those stories. They're so lovely. And I think another thing we get a lot with Spain is this idea of your first choice region that you choose. Just on a general note is that we don't have enough postings in certain regions to be able to give everyone their first choice. And just as a quick anecdote before I kind of pass over to our participants today, I remember seeing a, a tweet about someone that went on this assistantship and they didn't get any of their choices and they were like well British Council you you made the decision for me and that's where he met his wife and they're now married and it's just a story of make the most of wherever you do end up going um I don't know in any of your cases if you ended up getting your first choices um I got my first choice of region with Andalusia but I didn't I what I'd so I know you can't suggest um sort of specific cities where you'd like to go but I did in my application form sort of mention that I might like to go to Seville and I was so desperate for it and was allocated Granada instead and just similar to what you said Fanola they I, I wouldn't have changed that for the world and I think in the majority of cases wherever you get assigned whether it be your first choice or not you make the most of the area that you're in because that's where you are and you end up having a fantastic time regardless because it's it's where you've been placed you you I found that you really grow sort of like an emotional connection to the place that you end up living in and working in it because it is your life so I think regardless of where where you end up whether it's your first choice your third choice none of your choices you will end up having a brilliant time anyway and you will naturally make the most of it I think I was lucky that I think it was my uh, first choice that I was given but uh, I did choose northern Spain because I'd, I'd never been before and wanted to explore that part further if it was possible to do so so I was very lucky that I did get placed there um, and I just had a fantastic time and I agree with what Lucy said it doesn't matter where you are it's just, just just try and make the most of um, everything your surroundings meet everyone that you can meet and just have a great time 
yeah, stellar advice, definitely. Um, I think it was the Rolling Stone who said, you can't always get what you want, but if you try sometimes, you just might find you get what you need. And it's the same with Spain regions. Um, you might not get your first choice, but you might find that the um, region you're allocated to, you might meet the love of your life. You might just have a really good time there. But regardless, um, it is um, important that applicants remain flexible because as Finna said, um, we can't allocate everyone to their first choice, but we do have quite a good success rate in that. This year, I think 85% roughly got their first choice and somewhere around the 90% mark got at least one of their top three choices. So that's not too bad going, but for Spain, when there's over a thousand applicants, that will roughly equate to about 100 people who didn't get um, their um, any of their top three choices. However, it is important to, as I've said, remain flexible and really remain open-minded about where you're allocated to. We do offer you the option to um, suggest whether you would prefer to be in a rural, a city or a town environment and what age group you would like to choose. And you can rank whether that's more important than your region. If, for example, you want to be in a city and you don't you don't really care where in Spain, that's an option that you can rank your preferences as well. But it's also quite important to not just note down one region that you really, really want to go to and then put no preference for your second and third choices. Do be aware that depending on the region you choose, there just won't be enough room to allocate everyone to it. So um, do think into the other options, even if some of the regional groupings don't really tickle your fancy as much. Do research the regions, especially the ones in groups A and B that you'll see on our website, which are traditionally the least popular regions, but um, people have a really, really good time in them usually. So do your research and do try and put down at least three options that you would be happy and willing to go to. Um, because as I've said, it's quite a high success rate of somebody getting at least one of their um, one of their preferences in terms of region. That is a pretty high success rate, I'd, I'd agree. <laughs> but I've got a quick challenge for you all. You've got, let's give you 10 to 15 seconds to sum up why someone applying should choose the region that you spent your time as an assistant. Put you on the spot here. <laughs> I would say for Granada, it's a city environment, but it's small enough to, to manage it all in a day. You've definitely got, I can picture now, standing on the main street. To the left, you've got the culture of the Alhambra and the countryside. And down to the right, it's the main modern shopping streets full of businesses and excitement. So I would say for me, Granada ha just has everything in one small, compact city. I would say to choose the north of Spain, because you have a mixture of beautiful green landscapes with uh, beaches and so you have sunny weather and you have just a mixture of the two surrounding you all the time. Uh, so it's a, a lovely place to live. I'm going to sell central Spain because um, Lucy's already sold Andalusia where I was. So um, um, I would recommend you go to central Spain. Think of Castilla-La Mancha, Castilla-Leon, especially if you're a student studying Spanish and you want to really improve your linguistic skills. Um, Central Spain is renowned for having the clearest, nicest accent for um, Spaniards. So while that's very, very subjective, you might find that things are made a lot more easy for you going to an area of Spain where they have maybe a more neutral accent that you're used to hearing um, in your um, university studies. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. And just to say as well, we are going to hear from some other assistants that went to different parts of Spain so we can hear about their 
sort of experiences as well in those particular areas. I think I've got one more question actually for you all and this is what is your one top tip for assistants looking to apply or maybe that are currently living in Spain? This could be do, to do with finances or accommodation, anything you think that someone must know. Um, more so from from the aspect of Spain as a country and sort of like the, and the culture, I would say embrace the laid back attitude because I found it quite stressful that that nothing would I'm, I'm a person who everything has to be done immediately so when I wasn't getting that back I found that quite stressful but then you also realize that isn't expected of you either you are it's it's okay to be more relaxed and more if it happens tomorrow it's that typical saying mañana mañana if it happens tomorrow it's fine it can happen whenever so embrace the laid-back attitude and it really will make for a more uh, a more relaxed and, and a better experience and I've found I've taken that into my life now going back into my final year of university that if you just calm down and just relax everything will get done it will be fine and if you embrace that I think it makes for a much a much easier experience. I was going to say exactly the same thing really that just don't expect everything to happen just to click of your fingers do be very patient and that it is a, a general feeling of mañana mañana oh it's okay don't worry so be, be patient and be chilled out then everything will be fine in the end. Yeah, my main advice would be um, really don't beat yourself up if you find it hard at the start because more people find it difficult than you know. When you look at Facebook or Twitter or Insta or whatever, people are not going to put pictures up at that time. They were, you know, crying because they'd got off the bus at the wrong bus stop, um, you know, and missed the first class of the day or school or something. That's a very specific example. You might guess it might have happened to me personally, um, but you will look at other people's experience and hold it up against your own and if you're feeling homesick at the start if you're finding it difficult you're not like blending into your school as well as you'd hoped that is perfectly normal and time is really what you need you just need to take each day as it comes and try and just talk to people get to know them and really put your efforts in and you will really see the benefits after you're done but yeah persevere and don't worry if it's difficult at the start that just means you're normal if I could just add to what Leona said, absolutely. I spent the first three weeks and I did really struggle with homesickness, but it was after the um, the British Council orientation meeting at the start where you can meet all of the other mentees. I met so many people and we all swapped numbers. We made arrangements to go out for, for drinks. We went to the beach and it was all of a sudden that you wake up one day and you think, oh, I haven't thought about home today or I haven't worried. And all of a sudden everything does just fall into place. And again, to provide a very specific anecdote the the pet when the penny dropped for me it was when I went to the beach with five strangers I was really nervous about it I didn't want to go and I went anyway pushed myself and we all arranged to dress as the Spice Girls for Halloween and that's when I knew that I'd made friends and everything would be fine and after that I, I didn't look back and, and had a great time so definitely if you're not feeling 100% confident at the start it's absolutely normal and everything will I promise you it will all fall into place when you start to to meet people and, and just to push yourself a little bit further out of your comfort zone it really all will work out absolutely and i mean the key question here is which spice girl oh i was scary spice i found a full leopard print outfit h&m in spain the place to be it was great <laughs> absolutely iconic wonderful well thank you all so much for joining me today it's been so useful to to well explain what the posting system is in spain to learn a bit more about the school itself and to 
hear about your own experiences. So thank you all so much. Absolutely best of luck with what comes next for you all. And it's been a pleasure to speak to you today. You've been listening to the Language Assistance Podcast, brought to you by the British Council. For more information about the British Council or the Language Assistance Programme, please visit britishcouncil.org. Or why not follow the Language Assistance Programme on Twitter at LanguageASST.